our next voyage on T-10, a show with 10-minute takes on the future of education in healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's voyage, you'll hear from Adeline Dura, a clinical content manager at Freesia, where she focuses on patient-reported outcomes, or PROs. Adeline has a metric ton of experience in this space, having worked as a research coordinator at the UNC Kidney Center after earning her master's in public health. Adeline and I talked about the importance of patient-reported outcomes, including the Patient Activation Measure, or PAM for short. It's a brief survey that helps clinicians assess a patient's knowledge, skills, and confidence. It's been highlighted as a key variable in more than 750 peer-reviewed studies to date. It was helpful to learn how the PAM works and how it helps patients, especially since we know these types of tools are growing quickly across kidney care in the ongoing shift to value-based care and newer payment models. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation and deep dive on patient-reported outcomes with Adeline Dura. Adeline, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to T-10. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. We've uh, we've been connected for quite some time and, and we've gone back and forth on all things kidney care and patient education. I'd love for you to kind of give a, a high level of your path and how you ended up in, in your current role. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. I accidentally stumbled upon kidney research during my graduate studies and completely fell in love with the population. Um, I loved their complex healthcare experiences and needs and Despite the prevalence of CKD, there had been a lot less innovation than I would have expected. Um, And that was ironically pretty exciting to me. And so it felt like there was a lot of space to make waves. And so I just dug right in after graduate school working in the kidney space. And I quickly learned about the intersection of policy and kidney care, which scratched another itch of mine for health equity. And so I landed in a great spot working at UNC Chapel Hill with brilliant people who taught me the importance of engaging patients um, in clinical research and health education and ultimately every step and facet of their care, which led to my pivot to Freesia because I wanted to apply those learnings at a greater scale um, and across populations. So my ultimate goal before and at Freesia has been to um, meaningfully incorporate the patient's voice into care because I want that to be what is the foundation for improved quality of life and health outcomes and care experiences across the board. So at Freesia, I get to do just that by partnering with small clinics all the way up to massive healthcare systems who are all interested in expanding their clinical footprint, um, incorporating patient-reported outcomes, and really getting the patient voice into care. Amazing. It always... um... First of all, thank you for sharing and, and going back and forth with you. I it's it's always great to see a common thread and narrative when people kind of tie it back and it makes sense after the fact. But for you to be in a role where you're able to work on those things that you found meaning in so early on and have the chance to work on deeply with those partnerships is really just exciting to hear, um, especially in a space where it feels like there's momentum and it feels like people are getting excited and awareness is, is rising around health equity and all the issues that impact for patients. So if if we could, you mentioned patient-reported outcomes in that again, last segment. Um, could you, we're hearing the term more and more often, people are starting to ask questions around how they can be incorporated, but let's start with what are they and kind of why are they important? A patient-reported outcome is a report of a person's health status that comes directly from the person who experienced it. And I like to use the word person rather than patient, just because we are all a lot more than just being a patient or our health or our disease. Um, And so 
that's what's critical about PRO data itself is that it gets the patient voice into care, like I was saying earlier. It's the information that we can't necessarily get from traditional measures in health. So my example I always go to is that I'm not going to know if you're depressed from an x-ray, and I'm not going to know if you're experiencing sleep apnea based on blood work. And while we absolutely need imaging and labs to inform care and drive improved health outcomes, we also need that patient voice and perspective. And that's possible because PROs are captured with tools that are really rigorously evaluated and validated to ensure that the patient responses are as accurate and honest as possible. And so by leveraging PROs in our work at Freesia, we're able to better understand how to help patients and, and meet them where they are in their individual healthcare journey. And beyond that, we're able to help clinicians and staff as well because we are electronically administering these PRO measures before the patient even steps into the office. And that means providers can spend time understanding that information and then using the in-person time or telehealth time to dig into the meat of it, right? Have a really meaningful conversation, engage in some shared decision-making processes, and, and then have a treatment plan that is person-centered, right? Because we're accounting for the patient voice in conjunction with all the other facets of healthcare that we're already using. This is so helpful. I mean, hearing it from you, you know, my mind obviously races to, to kidney care and the inherent challenges, whether it's primary care with a nephrologist or in some of those NSAGE renal disease settings. Just the, first of all, the size of the population impacted by kidney disease. We know that you do need to have it personalized and that these outcomes that traditionally are not being measured by those health tools just seems like such a great opportunity. And I'm glad you mentioned the tools that you're building and working on currently, are there examples you can speak to? So how is this actually implemented? Is it a, is it a survey? Can you kind of walk us through maybe what they are, what those tools look like, and then obviously maybe a, a clinical example from, from your field? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head that PROs are something you can use to tailor care. And the specific one that comes to mind right now and specific to kidneys as well is the PAM, which is the patient activation measure. Um, the PAM is the gold standard tool for assessing patient activation. It's endorsed by the National Quality Forum or the NQF. Activation is the knowledge, skills, and confidence that an individual has in managing their own healthcare. And so the PAM measures those domains, and it's used by payers and providers and organizations that are ultimately seeking to support patients and taking a more active role in their care. That's the crux of this whole thing. The PAM is used to improve risk identification, to align resources, and like you said earlier, to tailor patient support and care and meet them where they are. You know, health literacy comes to mind as, as similar terms are used to kind of describe patient's ability to find information, to use and apply that information, making decisions. The other thing that I think is really interesting and that this might tie into it, I'm you know, curious, obviously want to hear the example, but you know, behavior, like the, there's something I learned, I think on the Frisia site around um, individual independent actions outside of the clinic setting. And that's super, that's really important, and especially in uh, a disease, for example, we're talking about kidney care, where uh, much of that is is behavioral, is metabolic, is made on decisions that are outside of those infrequent doctor's visits. So just a quick comment on activation seems to have its threads in so many important areas that are constantly being highlighted as, as opportunities and gaps that we need to close. Tim, you are speaking to it better than I can. I mean, that's a great, that's a great description. The PAM has a bunch of 
I don't usually like this wording, but it has some tentacles to it, right? It kind of spans a bunch of different directions. And especially with kidney patients, you just described a number of complex things, right? There's behavioral modifications like the diet and the exercise and all this chronic disease management that people have to think about that are a bunch of small steps and big steps. And when do you do them and how do you do it and what resources do you need? And if we take a step back and think about what the patient would be experiencing, let's take a very specific example. If we have someone that's like a stage five CKD patient, they don't have any clue of what's going on in their body and they crash into dialysis, unaware of what's going on, having to start hemodialysis with something that's really maybe like a catheter and not super safe for them or not gonna result in really great health outcomes. And then they're given a binder of information about what's going on in their body that they didn't even know about. It's overwhelming. And that's the critical stage where we need to find out, okay, what is this person's own self, like knowledge, skills, and confidence in managing this new thing in their life, this healthcare journey that's starting. And so with the PAM, what we can do is I'll describe it a little bit and then circle back to your question, because I think it will be helpful for context. Um, it's a short survey. It's like 10 or 13 statements. There's a couple different versions. And you ask patients these statements and you ask them to respond with their level of agreement. And so each of these questions touch on different things, but the ultimate goal is to score those responses and stratify patients into one of four levels. And I'll break that down quickly as well. Level one is the lowest activated patient. So they're the folks who would benefit from more support and care, more coordination, possibly more education. They need the most handholding. And What's critical to know about these people is that often, and I know I'm lumping them all into a category, but it's for the sake of aligning resources. They're a lot more than just their PM levels, but often we'll see these people that aren't as engaged in their care or are overwhelmed. And we say, okay, we're going to give you all the information. We're going to be here. We've got this. You can do it. And we are just all over them because we think that's helpful. And for some it might be, but for PAM level ones, you have to take small steps. You have to keep it simple. You don't overwhelm them. And that's where you also start thinking about those steps that are perhaps unrelated to kidney care if you're thinking about it on the surface. Because kidney care is one facet of their life, but they might have other things that they need help with, and that would help them get to their dialysis center, right? There might be social determinants of health we need to consider. There might be transportation that's lacking. There might be poor health literacy, and all of that needs to be addressed. So you have to break it down bit by bit and also reach outside of the scope of what we tend to think is like what we do in healthcare, kind of a little bit of a, a switch in how we're functioning. And then if we expand beyond level one, we go to two, three, and four. Four is the highest activated patient. So people complete these 13 or 10 items we put them into one of those categories. And if they're level one, we do maybe higher touch points. We do brief education that's simple, maybe not even written, just like an oral conversation and talking the next time very intentionally with them. But for level fours, maybe they're the folks that really want to read a lot. They're really Im invested in what's going on in their life. They might have a care partner that's there for them that also wants to know. So those level fours might actually be able to watch a long video that's available online and not lose steam. They might be able to read a book about something and mark it all up and come back with more questions. And what the PAM does is it tells you where those people land and what you can do for them so that they can come into the office more equipped. They can ask questions, they can feel engaged and involved, and they can feel empowered. It's, it's amazing. So thank you for, for 
breaking it down and walking us through it. I'm, I have a question on mobility and how you help patients move between levels. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot of ties to some other conversations we've had on the show, food as medicine, SDOH. And what I really like about the PAM in particular is it ties together so many things that are seemingly disparate in healthcare, like access to transportation for your treatment, uh, which thankfully more and more organizations are starting to think about. But as one measure that is you know, relatively simple in the grand scheme, 10 to 13 questions, I love this notion of asking people how confident they are, determining where they are in the knowledge, skills, confidence spectrum. Uh, it just seems like uh, a great opportunity to simplify the ability to, to know where someone is on that, uh, on that wide, wide range that clinicians must see. So I, I guess wrapping up here, I'd love to hear kind of about mobility. How do you think about is, is there a aim to help people move between levels? And then perhaps if you want to tackle um, supporting clinicians, because I imagine, you know, this is a new measure. How do you, either in your capacity or how does the tool help clinicians to be able to do those things like make use of the PAM in their own clinical setting? Wow. Yeah, um, you're spot on. It's The PAM is a very cross-cutting measure, which I think is also critical to name it goes, it covers all those things you were talking about, like it, about five to 6% of PAM score variation is due to demographics. So we even see it going across socioeconomic statuses and different cultures is a really useful tool. Um, and the example that comes to mind first is specifically how the PAM is being used um, in a CMS program called the KCC model. It's the kidney care choices model. Um, and the short and sweet of the program is that it's designed to help providers improve care quality and reduce cost of pa for patients with late stage CKD and end stage kidney disease. Um, and in doing that, KCC aims to delay the need for dialysis as well as encourage kidney transplantation. And so what we're doing at Freesia is we're partnering with folks that are participants in this model and we're helping them support their patients in activation. And so What's at the crux in the core of this KCC model is the patient's ability to self-manage their kidney disease. And so for organizations that are a part of this, the gains in PAM scores is a quality measure used to evaluate performance. So that's, that moving between levels is actually critical. Patients will move in between levels for a number of reasons. So we could have some interventions that are rolled out um, that are creative and really helpful. Lots of times, for example, we'll recommend that people stratify level ones and twos into one bucket and then PAM level threes and fours together. And that way you can say, all right, we can tackle these. We know who needs a little bit more, who needs a little bit less, who needs which resources and where. So that's one way to do it. And it looks different for each KCC participant, right? Because every clinic is different. Each patient population they're working with is different. And all the SDOH needs vary by ge like geographic region and beyond. So we've got people all over the nation that are enrolled in this model, and we're all trying to figure it out together. But something critical is that there's a lot of human nature that needs to be accounted for here, because maybe one patient will respond to the PAM questions and be a level one one day, and then the next day after intervening, they might pop up to a level three, which is wonderful. But then perhaps a life thing happens, something really hard. Maybe a loved one passes away or something goes wrong with your fistula. Your fistula fails and you thought you were on the right track with dialysis, but now you have a lot more appointments with someone you're scared of in a place that feels uncomfortable and you don't have the financial support to do it or you feel that way. And then your PAM score lowers again. 
because life happens and you feel less capable and that's okay. So there's not fault if you move in and around the, the levels. I think it maps very beautifully actually to a behavioral health model called the trans theoretical model, which is a behavior change model. And we're humans, we, we evolve over time and the levels change and the PAM gives you insight into how to help people move up. But the reality is life happens and you might move backward. And what's important to name here is that PAM level fours, part of the algorithm per se, is that PAM level fours are those folks that even when roadblocks come and hiccups arise, if people are at a PAM level four, they're likely to say, okay, I can still do this. I have coping mechanisms. I have the knowledge to keep pushing forward. I know that in two weeks, this will be okay. And they're able to move forward. So what we're aiming to do is help people move, acknowledge that they might slip back and that's not a problem, it's real. And if we can get them up to a level four, we can reduce the amount of times and frequency that they slip or fall when there are circumstances that are hard. Adela, this is so helpful. So first of all, it answers my question on, is the idea mobility and just assuming a linear path from one to four, now I see that the opportunity is really just knowing where someone is on any given day at any given time in their journey, because these journeys are not marked in days or weeks, they are in years and sometimes decades, right? So I, I love that idea of making invisible data visible, things that are not traditionally able to be measured or measured in the first place in healthcare. Uh, and I'm so excited about the work you're doing. I want to make sure before we wrap up here that people have a chance to get a hold of you. They know where to find more about your work. Of course, we will include links in the show notes to all the things you mentioned that people may or may not be familiar with. Uh, so we'll make sure that's taken care of. But how can people connect with you after the show? Well, if you want to learn more about Freesia or Pam, freesia.com is the way to go. Um, and if you want to talk to me, I always welcome conversations with like-minded folks or even totally different from me. <laughs> uh, I love just engaging in conversation. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. I would be happy to talk further about the work we're doing here at Freesia and what I hope to do in the lives of kidney patients and beyond. Amazing. Adeline, thank you so much for joining me on T-N. It was great to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Tim. Thank you.